Welcome to the Better the Pond podcast. In each episode, Warren Berry, CEO and founder of Instinctive Solutions, talks to amazing people doing incredible things that lead the charge of generosity. We'll discover what makes each guest a bit of an odd duck and how they continue to better the pond around us. The migration starts right now with our host, Warren Berry. My name is Warren Berry, and I'm your host and the founder of Instinctive Solutions, where we believe that everyone is an odd duck, but that's what makes them awesome. Now, today our guest is Jason Kalevsky, otherwise known as JK. Uh, now, staying on the same pond in Newcastle in New South Wales, Australia, Jason learned firsthand that the so-called negative events in his life became the gift in the ugly box. Dealing with anxiety and hypersensitivity turned into his greatest asset. He now gets to leverage that strength to coach people to become their grandest self. Now, I love his mantra. It's every day and in every way I am getting better and better, stronger and stronger. And that's how he leverages his gifts to better the pond. I want to welcome Jason Kalevsky. All right. You know, Jason, I want to thank you ever so much for being a guest on, on the Better the Pond podcast. It is absolutely great to have you. Mate, it's an absolute pleasure all the way across the pond from Australia. <laughs> I'm down under. Down under. <laughs> so, so Jason, uh, what got you from being a gosling to then <laughs> leaving the nest and then becoming the wise goose that you are today? What's your backstory, uh, Jason? <laughs> An interesting compliment calling me wise, but thank you for, for that nonetheless. Um, yeah, look, it's an interesting story and I'll, I'll, I'll elaborate because I think there's, there's a lot of value in what I went through to get to where I am, uh, Warren, because I, I went through a dip and, and I think that dip is where you question your own identity, you question who you are and the very thing that you're on this earth for. But long story short, I was a... I was a business partner in a financial planning practice, a financial services firm for several years. Uh, we started that practice, I think it was in 2005. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull you back, JK. I'm gonna pull you back. I wanna hear about you being a gosling. Then what do you mean by a gosling? Oh, well, you were little. You gotta where, be specific. Where was your, where was your start? You started in, it was you, were you in New South Wales, uh, Australia? Where does, let's take you back you, a little bit. All the we're going right back to the roots. We're back to the right. roots. I want to know all about JK. Wow. Okay. We're going. We're, how much time have we got? I thought it was an hour. <laughs> <laughs> you you should know. You should know. I could talk under wet cement. <laughs> I'll go back, but I'll give you the abridged version. So you're born and bred in uh, Newcastle, New South Wales, Australia. Um, in fact, my family. Um, doesn't move around much. We, we moved once when I was a child and it was literally two kilometers up the same street. And um, we had an opportunity as a family to build a new home and off we went and, and that became our stability ground. Funnily enough, when I got married to my lovely wife, Linda, uh, we actually moved into our parents' home together. Uh, we stayed, so I stayed there and Linda came and joined us and we had our own separate division. It was quite a large house. So you know, we almost had our own separate um, uh, place to live within the home. Um, but we stayed there until we uh, got our 
planes through council and we were able to build our own home. So it was a fantastic place. And I guess that is quite the European background where we use a family in certain ways as our support mechanisms to build our next space and then move on. And we did exactly that. We moved into our own home uh, in 2000, I'll say seven. Uh, we built this beautiful home and then we raised three children there and then we moved out because we outgrew the home. So for us, Newcastle, Australia has always been home and, and always will be unless our children take us elsewhere through their endeavours in life. Uh, but it's, it's amazing. We, we, we get to live in a place that's quite coastal. Newcastle's on the east coast of Australia. Uh, at the same token, we feel like we've got the platform to the rest of the world without being too congested amongst it, if that makes sense. Because obviously we don't neighbour any other country. Uh, our closest is New Zealand, but even then it's a flight over a pond. Right. So you've stayed in the same pond your entire life. Yep. Okay. Stayed as a base. As a base. That didn't mean that I didn't go and fly away and come back every now and then to explore, but definitely as a base, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. That's that's what I wanted to hear. I wanted to get a little bit of the backstory. <laughs> so now you can get me back up to speed. Now I can get you back up to speed. So 2005 in the January, Linda and I actually got married. And um, in the April, uh, my business partner and I, before we became business partners, went to a financial planning conference and we just saw all these people working for themselves and having a great time and getting to explore what they were about. And we were both employees at that time. Mm -hmm. um, we, we sat back in one of the, the hotel rooms that we were sharing and we said, what, what are we doing? You know, we've got great ideas, we've got great capability, we love helping people why don't we just go out and start our own financial planning practice? So in the August of 2005, I started, uh, we started our own financial planning business. And, um, you know, we, we did some things that were well, that we did well, but there was a lot of things that we were just, we were just not doing very well at. And uh, a number of those things in hindsight have been the very thing that have helped us to grow as individuals. And I know certainly for me, I mean, I, I can't speak for other people, but certainly for me, when I look back in hindsight, I would say that some of those most challenging moments where things weren't working, you know, we had some tough things go across our desk that I would say have been the most profound moments in my life. Um, and by around, I'm, I'm going to say around 2011, um, I went through a personal journey that I would say shaped who I am today. And it's not a, it's not a story that I share with many people. I, I wake up one morning and I start to feel certain sensations in my body um, and did the old Dr. Google and, and found the worst possible scenarios. Um, and, and in fact, it, it was so terrifying for me, Warren, at that time that I was so scared of finding out the truth that I resisted seeing any medical professional to diagnose and find out what was happening to my body. Uh, I, it was one of those things I just... I just prefer to bury my head in the sand, hoping that it'll go away. And as we know, it never does. And it just got to the point where I needed to seek medical advice. And I remember seeing um, uh, my GP, my general practitioner, and she said, look, there's nothing medically wrong with your body. Like what you're experiencing is stress and anxiety. And I thought, oh, wow. What's but what about this? You know, and, and, you, and when you're in an anxious state, and for anyone out there listening, 
if you've ever, or if you are experiencing anxiety in your life, this is gonna be very, very relevant for you. And I hope that this will give you some healing as well. For me, it was such a profound, intense moment in my life that I literally, literally thought I was gonna die. I was scared. I thought the diseases, that, that I had certain diseases that uh, were incurable, uh, that at some point uh, would debilitate me and then I'd, I'd, I'd die a short life. It was scary, um, beyond scary. You can't even comprehend what it's like when you feel like you are gonna die and you're, you know, you're in your early 30s. Um, and it was so scary for me that distractions were healthy because I thought, okay, my mind's distracted, I'm doing lots of things, I'll keep myself busy. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the same token though, what that did is it separated uh, the busyness and the noise to how scary quiet was for me. So going to bed become the scariest time of my life because all I would do is I'd be trapped with me, my thoughts, no one to talk to, everyone in the house is asleep, and I'd just be running rampant with my thoughts. What if this, what if that? And then because of that, I'd feel more sensations in my body. It was so intense for me that I couldn't escape it, and I'd fall asleep exhausted. That was the only way I'd fall asleep. And then I'd wake up feeling drained, tired, and once again exhausted, and this cycle just kept perpetuating. Mm. Uh, we got to a point in the financial planning business where I wanted out, I wanted something different. I felt like I had fallen out of love with uh, the services we're providing, but I loved business. I loved being in business. I'd love to be able to shape people's lives, but I just felt trapped and I literally felt trapped. Anyway, I was going to say found... for a second, isn't that yeah, interesting how, how in your own mind, even though a physician said it's, it's stress and an anxiety was basically your diagnosis and between your ears, you took it to a whole new level of, uh, of a story of what was, what you thought, what you thought was happening based, not based upon what anybody, any other professional thought. Isn't that quite no. interesting? Absolutely. And, and, and it was the epitome of what was my breakthrough later on. And I'll share that connection for you because I think it can really help some people. It was so bad what was happening in between my ears that I lost belief of what I was hearing as the truth, as you just shared. So much so that I ended up bringing Linda to the physician with me because I wanted someone that is more rational and not in my head to hear what I'm hearing. And I remember going to see this physician and she said, there's nothing wrong with you. I asked all these questions, but what about this? Can you check this? Can you look at this? What about that? Did I mention this? And I was like, and she said, you've told me everything. And I gave you, but I don't know if I remember telling you this little piece. <laughs> she said, you told me that two visits ago. And I'm like, oh. Anyway, we got to a point where there was a certain amount of silence and Linda said, so have you heard everything? And I said, yes. And Linda said again, the doctor is telling you there's nothing wrong, you're stressed, and what you're experiencing is anxiety, not a disease that you're going to die from, but anxiety, and that's what's happening with you. I said, yes, I hear that now. And I took a deep breath, and I let go, and at that point, very short-lived, I thought that was it. And I said, right. And so Linda said, so are we done? You're fine. Do you need to ask any more questions? We're here together. Don't feel rushed. Ask whatever you need to ask. I said, I don't have any more questions. I feel like this was the answer that I was looking for. We jumped in the car, we're driving away on our way home. 
to some degree feeling happy and relieved. And then about not even five minutes later, but what I might have forgotten to tell the doctor was, and then off I went again. Right. And I and I started to doubt myself again, and it didn't help. I then came across another doctor that worked more on mindset. So he would have a, a, a an office where he would see patients on a daily basis, you know, treat for colds, flus, and everything under the sun. And then two days a week, he'd work more on like a counselling mindset style of therapy. And I told him what was happening, and he said, right, from a general practitioner's, a physician's perspective, he said, you are fine. He said, I can tell you that. He said, but there's things going on in your mind that are turning against you, and we need to work on that. I said, great. Saw him, had a visit, did a few things. Okay, maybe that's going to be okay. Um, came back for another visit, same sort of thing. Went through a few exercises discussion points, blah, 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 long story short. Uh, by the third visit, I wasn't noticing any change. Um, it was really hard, Warren, because when you feel like this is it, this is going to be the one thing that fixes everything, yep. and you realise that's not working, it's absolutely terrifying. And there was a whole bunch of things that went on and I won't, I won't bother sharing the details because as I said, we could go down a rabbit hole. <laughs> um, but it was really difficult for me. And at the same token, um, and by the way, just to, just to sort of put some context around this, I, I, at no stage did I take medication. I, I, didn't, I didn't want to put something else into my body. And that's not saying that any of your listeners out there should or shouldn't do what mm -hmm. I did. Yep. Just sharing my journey, I felt like I didn't want to put something else in my body that something else needed to fix itself. And I remember in this third visit, um, I stood up and the physician said, what are you doing? I said, I'm done. And obviously he thought real negative, like that I'm going to go and completely done life. And I said, no, 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 I'm not done with life. I said, I'm done with the visits. He said, you are nowhere near ready to go back out there and do what you need to do. And I said, in our very first visit, your advice was, everything's fine with you. It's just your thoughts are creating this problem. And, I, and, I, and he said, that's right. I said, but every time I come and visit you, I feel like I'm getting some sort of medical treatment, which is keeping me trapped in the same spot. And I said, if my mind got me into this, only my mind can get me out of this. And I remember going home and um, feeling quite confused, even though I'd sort of made a decision. I guess I was not 100% confident. And I think that's the thing. When you're feeling deep anxiety or you're anxious all the time, mm -hmm. it's hard. It's really difficult to be confident and to yes. believe in yourself. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I remember having these doubts. However, I made, I made a commitment that I was going to change something, but I just didn't know how or what. And I went to bed that night almost excited like I was going on a journey the next day. And I woke up, and this is the part that I never, ever will forget for the rest of my life. I woke up, and I looked in the mirror, and I washed my face in the morning, splashed some nice, fresh, cold water on my face, and I looked in the mirror, and I said to myself, from this day forward, you are going to use your mind to better yourself and better everyone else that you can get in contact with. And from this day forward, I'm going to use my mind for power, not for suffering. And that was it. 
And I had a mantra that he had given me um, that basically goes every day and in every way, I'm getting better and better, stronger and stronger. And I just repeat this mantra. And I'm telling you, Warren, there'd be moments where I'm bawling my eyes out with fear and I'm screaming out loud this mantra every day and in every way, I'm getting better and better, stronger and stronger. And I'd be driving to work or visiting someone or whatever, and this fear would come up and I'd just start screaming it. And there'd be people by my side in the, in the traffic just looking at me thinking, what the hell, this nutcase is going wild in the car. But I was having a fight and I'm talking, I am having an absolute fight with this thing that was creating suffering inside of me and I needed to belt it out. So every time this suffering came into my mind, I think I've got to give it 10 times more back at it so that it can eventually go away. And I would repeat this mantra every day and I'd hold my shoulders back and I'd hold my chin up because there's a certain physiology that connects with your nervous system. Off I went repeating this mantra. Every day and in every way, I'm getting better and better, stronger and stronger. Every day and in every way, I'm getting better and better, stronger and stronger, louder and louder and louder and louder. And what I noticed, not in any one moment, however, at some point, I stopped and I reflected. And I realised that I was no longer feeling anxious and that these moments of anxiety were, were probably no different to anyone getting a little bit nervous before a you know, before a new thing in, in, that we all experience to some degree. And I, and I thought, well, what's changed? And I felt so powerful. I felt mm. so powerful. And I remember walking into my uh, business partner's office. I said, mate, we're selling this business. You know, I've, I want to do bigger and better things. And he said, well, funny enough, I want the same thing. Funny how serendipity aligns things like that. <laughs> and by 2012, we had sold um, our financial planning practice quite successfully, I might add. Um, in fact, the broker that we used to help sell the practice um, had 23 interested parties within 24 hours. Wow. And he said, Look, the way you guys have shaped this thing up, it's a brilliant business model. Um, I've got no problem selling it. So off we went, sold the practice. Um, and then it was mid-March that I just had this powerful stance, this powerful energy. And just to clarify, when I say power, I don't mean egotistical power that I'm going to overpower people. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about a level of self-esteem, self-belief, deep love and care and nurture to just make a massive difference. And I had this statement that would be mine that I want to make a positive, significant difference to human beings that want to live a life worth remembering. And that was my little vision, my little mission, I guess, that I was on. Mm -hmm. And by, yeah, mid-March 2012, I'd sold the financial planning practice and I jumped into coaching and mentoring. And I remember that time, and, and I'm going to stop, as I said, so you can at least ask a question. <laughs> I remember at that time thinking, I've got no coaching model. Like, I didn't want to buy a franchise that would give me the manual as to how I would coach and mentor people. Mm -hmm. um, but what I did have was profound, profound life experience as to what does work in business, what doesn't work in business, where leaders get challenged, where blockages come up. Because what I found through my period of anxiety, um, it's like when people say, um, you know, they, they lost their vision, but their hearing become quite stronger. Mm -hmm. and, and that's similar sort of thing happened to me that with, with that period going through a deep level of anxiety, my intuition went through the roof. I mean, my ability to 
to snap in and hear that little voice or to feel an experience in my body because I've become so highly sensitive to everything that was going on within me went off the Richter scale. I mean, it was so profound and so sharp, it wasn't funny. So I thought I've got this deep strength and power within me. I've got uh, conviction as to what people need to do. Um, I had deep love and care. So I thought anyone that ends up in my presence must meant to have shown up in my presence and I need to serve them at the highest level. And, um, you know, through business, you learn what doesn't work, you learn what does work and, and a whole bunch of stuff. So for me, whilst there was a business context, my true work was around human dynamics. What makes people tick? Why do people get blocked? And how do I unblock them as quick as possible? Um, and you know when you're on the right path, when you make a commitment to something and then life just gives you an opportunity. And I remember thinking at that time, I've just sold my financial planning practice. I've got five days a week to do nothing. I don't have any clients. Uh, actually, tell a lie. I had one coaching and mentoring client that started with me before I, I sold my practice. So it was almost like an unofficial start to, to what I was doing. And I thought, I've got five days a week. And I thought, I know me. I know my uh, instinctive profile. And, and I knew that I needed tight deadlines and I needed a bit of time pressure. So I thought I should go and find a job for two days a week. And that'll give me three intense days to get my business going. And uh, literally, literally, the weekend that I finished the financial planning practice, I decided I needed to uh, start, you know, get some sort of job or some sort of contract mm -hmm. two days a week. I, I opened the newspaper. And back then, you know, we would find jobs in the newspaper. <laughs> Way back and, then. Yeah, <laughs> way back then. Um, I opened the paper and there was this little ad and it was in yellow and it said, business mentor required contract two days per week. And I thought, oh my God, this has literally been taken, the words have been taken out of my mouth and put on paper as if it was written for me. And I applied for it. A week later, I started working with this group and they said, look, just as long as we can have you, we'll have you, we'll be very grateful for that. Um, I lasted about 11 months before I got too busy juggling both and I said my goodbyes. And uh, ever since, you know, late 2012, early 13, 2013, I've been coaching and mentoring clients all around the world, digitally, in person, um, and had the pleasure of meeting some beautiful people globally and trying to make a difference to anyone and everyone that I can uh, since that point and going strong. Well, I can say from personal experience um, that uh, you were my coach and mentor for a period of time. And, and I think what you said was, was really smart is you don't, you know, you don't, you don't have a manual, you don't have a book, you don't have a, a really a system. Um, it's about in, in, it's about love and engagement and listening and, and intuition. And I can speak for that wholeheartedly of some of the time, the things that you would say, and it would really like, wow, it would just, it would hit you. It would, it was, you know, like, where did that come from? Right. So, um, so it was absolutely, I mean, I will say, Jason, you're absolutely brilliant at what you do. I loved our time together. And, and I mean, through that, we've also uh, created a, a wonderful friendship as a matter of fact. So. Absolutely. You know, for me, um, people are people, you know, human beings are the same all over the planet. However, there is some magic when someone all the way across the pond uh, chooses to work with you in a way that is, to me, quite a privileged space. 
even today, I mean, I've been doing this over a decade now and, uh, you know, informally and then formally. And still to today, I sit with anyone and I feel it is such a privileged space we're about to share uh, that I don't take that for granted. But uh, yeah, dealing with someone like yourself, you know, you're quite a magical person yourself and you make quite a big impact. To have the privilege of being a mentor, a sounding board, you know, a trusted advisor, a, a confidant to someone like yourself all the way across the pond when there's so many other coaches and mentoring between us uh, was a memorable and a powerful experience. And I guess, yeah, like you said, today we have a brotherhood uh, that we share. It's beyond a friendship, isn't it? <laughs> it is beyond a friendship, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, one of the things I was going to mention too, before I move on to my next question, Jason, um, which it was, it was actually a really profound moment for me, um, and I've carried that forward working with other people as well, is when you look back at, at your anxiety um, that you went through, and I mean, it was not pleasant, um, but because of it, <laughs> far from it, far from it, right? But because of that, is what helped shape you to who you are today. So um, if I can use the wise words of uh, Jason Klefsky, it was the gift in the ugly box. Oh, you are beautiful, my friend. <laughs> I, I was literally going to say, that's the moment that I call a gift in an ugly box. And you're, you're, you're right on it. You're right on it, brother. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah, look, it is, is, it, but it, it's true. You know, it is true. 100%. And, 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 and the reason why I've coined that phrase the gift in an ugly box. It's because when these things show up, what we want to do is throw that box away. It, it's ugly, it's painful, it, it's, it's unattractive, it's hurtful. There's so much challenge going on that we just want to throw it away. But it's one of those magical boxes that you can hide it in the deepest, darkest spot and it'll just pop up <laughs> under a light when you're thinking, I thought I got rid of that. And it's not until you open this box up with, and it takes courage, maybe a bit of support, coaching, mentoring, maybe some guidance, maybe just blind faith and going, I've just got to rip this um, open and see what shows up. But the more you look at it, the more you question it, the more you feel it, the more you absorb it, the more you understand the gifts in it. Um, and, I, and I would honestly say that that journey in my life was a catapult. Mm. Um, and if anything, and I don't know whether this is anything in, from a medical context. However, my belief, and it's only my belief, is that if you are suffering anxiety, it's because life's trying to propel you into something that you're holding back and you just can't see what that would be. There's fear of letting go from something from the past and there's fear of jumping into the future because it's unknown. And this bottleneck in the middle is, is that little knot in the stomach that we call anxiety. Right. And, 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 I, and I struggle because I do work with a lot of people that are experiencing that, business leaders that feel anxious. And I say to them, please just don't own it. A lot of people say, my anxiety. Yeah. Oh, my, my anxiety is playing up at the moment. And I say, don't own it. it it's not your anxiety. It's, it's a feeling and it's an experience. However, like any feeling and experience, it's there to serve a purpose and it'll disappear and come back and go away and whatever else to serve its purpose. However, owning it says I'm going to have it for the rest of my life. So just changing some language uh, around our gifts that are in the ugly boxes allows the gifts to come out and start to shine. Absolutely. I am just, uh, just as of yesterday, started reading The Alchemist uh, by Paulo Coelho. Uh, and I read it years ago. 
And so now I'm actually reading again. And it's a lot of those, you know, same kind of lines of these things happen to us in our life. And we look at them and we think they're horrible and terrible, but really it's part of the path that we're on that leads us to bigger and better things. And if we stay back there with it, right? I mean, it'll keep nudging you. It'll keep whacking you, right? And the question is, are you, are you, do you have the courage and the tenacity to, to face it and not allow it to propel you and launch you forward? And that's, and that's where the gift is. That's the gem in the middle of the ugly box. Totally, totally. And, you know, it's, it's hard, Warren, because to make a powerful decision, you need to be in a powerful place. Correct. And when you're, when you're feeling anxious, and as I said, you know, all I work with are, are business leaders that believe they have something deeper inside themselves that want to go and explore that. And that anxiety, that anxiousness is not a powerful place. You know, I certainly wasn't feeling powerful to say, you know what, I'm going to make a new decision. <laughs> For me, it got to the point where, the only place I had to go was to bounce off the ground and then come back up. And, and that's what I did. I bounced off the ground and went, I can either stay down or I can bounce back up. And it's scary, but the alternative was even scarier. And, and I think that rock, being stuck between a, a rock and a hard place mm -hmm. um, is actually the point of pivot. That rock and hard place is the point of pivot. And, and you know, we've all been through you know, a global, global scary pandemic right now. And, and once again, I personally have experienced a whole new level of pivot with some lessons that I've learned out of that um, to shape it into quite a positive outcome for me. Absolutely. Wonderful. So, Jason, you know, I believe that we're all odd ducks. I, I believe we're all misfits in our own way. And, you know, Tell me just what's made you, you, and I, I want the details. Um, what have you done differently to, to stand out? Yeah, good question. We, and we are all love ducks um, because if we're all the same, well, there'd be something going wrong out there because <laughs> why is there two of me walking around? Um, I, I was always told when I was young, uh, not necessarily by my parents or anyone close, but usually people that, that didn't like what I was doing they'd say, oh, you're too sensitive. And I'd be called sensitive, okay? And for many years, I believed that I was too sensitive. And, and what do you do if you believe you're too sensitive? Well, then your mission becomes to desensitize. Right. Uh, life had other plans for me uh, <laughs> as an odd, odd person. Um, I, I, I'll tie that back into my anxiety. What I discovered through that period, and I said my anxiety on purpose, because at that time I was owning it, um, my anxiety period, I become even more sensitive. I could feel more. Um, I would feel certain sensations in my body that medical practitioners would say, what you're feeling is actually what's happening inside of you, but we don't understand how you can feel it because you shouldn't be feeling that. Uh. Um, and I remember seeing a massage therapist that had quite a spiritual twist to his methodology. And I remember sitting on his uh, bench, or lying down on his bench, I should say. And I said to him, I, I feel like your bench is unbalanced, like it's tilted backwards. I, I, I can feel the blood flowing back towards my head. I said, have you moved your bench? And he said, it's, it's been the same, the same. He said, in fact, it's, it's been quite level. And we actually got a spirit level. And we sat it on the bench and it was two degrees lower on the end of the head. 
And he sat back and he said, can you actually feel that? I said, I can. Wow. Everything is so heightened. My senses are so heightened uh, that, that I realized um, I could feel way, probably way too much than I wanted to feel because it was scary. And I remember at that point realizing that my uniqueness being so sensitive was actually a superpower that I wasn't using. And I then learned to harness that sensitivity and use it in a positive context. That the more I could sense, mm -hmm. that the more powerful I was. And I would just listen to myself. I'd walk into a room. If I immediately sensed something, I'd just ask a question. I wouldn't use it in an arrogant way to think, well, that's right. Sorry, you're just not aware of it. I would ask a question like, hey, I've just noticed this. Is there something going on for you around that? And people would sit there gobsmacked and go, hey, how did you know that? So I then extended that to expand on my uniqueness, Warren, in the sense that I wanted to, I wanted to tap into that. I didn't want to go into my head because I thought my gem, my gift in the ugly box is all within me, my senses, my intuition. I didn't want to start to go cognitive and start thinking too much. And, and I wanted to understand, well, how can I leverage? So I started to speak to people about energy, uh, feng shui specialist. I was being trained by, by a feng shui expert. Um, understanding numerology and, and these are things that there'd be a lot of people that would say oh there's nothing in that that's all you know hoobie-googie sort of stuff and, and for me it's not so much it's one way or the highway and that's where I love Bruce Lee's philosophies because he, he'd look at all disciplines and he'd say if I can take the best out of all disciplines then I'll have something even bigger and more available to be able to do powerful things with and that's obviously I'm paraphrasing badly um, but he had a beautiful philosophy around taking so many different things. And I, I'm the sort of guy that I'll turn up to an event where we're jumping up on chairs and boomer and working ourselves from that all the way to a four-day spiritual retreat where you don't have access to your phone or your wallet or anything. It's just yourself and nothing else um, and everything in between. And I went and started to understand about energy and intuition and what's going on for me and how do I work with these things and how do I use them to help me to understand what's happening for my clients in a way that, quite frankly, they're probably not even aware of what's happening for them just yet. Because I believe that when we're blocked, it's because we don't have the conscious awareness of what's happening for us. Mm -hmm. And therefore, it's really difficult to say to someone, I'm stuck on this, can you help me with that? What's your solution? So for me, I believe it was my job to get beneath the consciousness into the subconscious mind and understand how are these people blocked? What's holding them back from their profoundness or what I call being their grandest self, grandest version of themselves? What's holding that person back and how do I get there? And, and for me, the answer was using energy, understanding, intuition, and my own sensitivity to really tap into some stuff that could be going on for the person across the table. So isn't that interesting when you say that, you know, when you were younger that, you know, you were told that you were too sensitive. And again, so from somebody else's perspective, right, you're too sensitive, therefore you should, you know, desensitize. Um, yet that was your, your grandest gift. That, be, that was your superpower. So isn't that fascinating how people on the outside can look at you and say, well, you shouldn't or... You know, I always tell people don't shit on yourself, right? Um, yeah. And uh, but it's you know, like you should, you should, you know, not be so sensitive. And as, as to why, I mean, it really serves their own purpose and in, in, instead of yours. 
That's right, because I think we have, as human beings, fear around the stuff that we can't see or validate. Mm -hmm. uh, if it's not logical, if it's not rational, um, you know, and I can't touch and feel it, then I don't think it's true or it's right. And, and yet sensitive people, and I hear people describe their children, oh, you know, this is my son or my daughter, he's the sensitive one or she's the sensitive one. And, and I correct them and I say, oh, wow. So, so you, you, you're telling me that your daughter is highly sensing. And they sit back and they think, well, hang on a minute, I've, I've never looked at it that way. What do you mean, JK? And I go, well, you, you, you're telling me that your daughter has the ability to sense so much more than what other people can. Um, that's a gift, that's a power. We just need to help her to understand how to harness that. And they sit back almost like looking at their child through a whole brand new set of glasses. Um, and I know that because that was me. I was that child that people would think, you know, or that person even into my, you know, young adult life being told you're too sensitive. You need to, you need to harden up. You need to toughen up. Um, and, and I think the, the world actually needs the opposite. The world needs more compassion, more love, more sensitivity, um, more consideration and kindness. And, and that's what I pour into everything that I do these days. And, and you do, and you do it well, my friend. <laughs> Can you tell me about a time, uh, Jason, where somebody did something for you that left an impact on your life? I can, and I could describe the numerous amounts of people that have come into my life that I would cherish forever. Obviously, you being one of those, the friendship and the relationship we have. You know, for me, to be able to have a connection with someone that's all the way. I mean, literally for you and I to, to flock towards each other would take over 20 something hours of flight time to get there. Um, and that's by plane, not by goose. <laughs> um, so I, I could talk about a lot of people that have helped me that have been in my life. Um, you know, my wife is an amazing, amazing rock. And I think there's a lot of truth behind the statement that behind every great man, there's an even greater woman. Uh, we, we have such a great bond. However, in terms of profoundness, I'm going to answer that question. I'm going to answer that question in a way that you're probably not expecting. There was a person, um, God love their soul, that decided that what we did when we started our business, uh, there was something wrong in that and decided to take the legal action against us. Mm -hmm. And for me, what I'd realized in my life with the work that I've done, that everything happens for a reason and that reason is there to serve us. And if you have that mindset, then you can actually find the gift in the ugly box. You can actually go and find the super lining or the optimistic opportunity in things. So I deeply, deeply sunk into this perspective that everything happens for a reason and that reason's there to serve me and it was all my creation. And I even have a saying now, and I've coined this statement that says, mirror, mirror on the wall, I am the creator of it all. And when I see what I create, my powerful destiny will no longer wait. And because of that, I just kept looking at this scenario thinking, what, why would I have created this, this legal action against, against me and my family? Why would I have manifested this into my life? What am I meant to get out of it? And I found things you would not believe that have served me to today and will continue to serve me for the rest of my life. The gifts in that ugly box. Uh, this person um, is, is oblivious to the impact because the impact was intentioned to be negative.
However, I didn't blame. I no longer blame that person for what's happened. In fact, I own it. And because I own the scenario, I can take the gifts out of it. So going back to your story, there was a lot of things that have happened positive in my life since that point that I can directly relate to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so whilst maybe you're waiting for, you know, Joe Bloggs, the author of this book, has really shaped my life. Um, that's one context that's had a profound impact. But the other one, and this is the one that, you know, that I think is, is someone that your listeners can even look up, is I remember sitting there, and I'm quite strong on serendipity. Uh, I, I have a, an acronym, SMILE, S-M-I-L-E, and it stands for Serendipitous Moments in Life's Experiences. Oh. So when you have an experience in life, and the serendipitous moment shows up, you think, oh, wow, that was quite cool, the way that showed up, and I call that a smile. Can you say that again? Serendipitous moment in life's experience. Smile. So I call it a smile. And uh, a smile for me was I was watching television once and there seemed to be nothing on TV that I was interested in. And I turned to a channel, a station that I never, I never watched this station, but there was something on there that said brain games. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. So I clicked on this show. There was a neurologist talking about how our brain actually deceives us, um, how we use our eyes and we think our eyes see the world, but all they do is bring the data in and then our brains actually interpret that data based on our belief system and and the way we learn to see things. So you can actually shift what you see in the world by changing yourself internally. Long story short, uh, there was an interview with a guru, an enlightened being from India, um, and his guru name is Sadhguru. And Sadhguru is S-A-D-H-G-U-R-U. So Sadhguru, Sadhguru. And uh, Sadhguru is, is just everything that he says, I just found so spot on the money. It's just so true. Some deep, profound truths. And once again, being one of those people that I'm open to so many different perspectives, and that's what makes me who I am. Um, but I, I said to my wife, I've just looked up this guru and some things that are happening and the, the, the practices that he's teaching, I think can help us in a lot of ways. So we both went along to a, uh, a program that he calls inner engineering. And, and Sadhguru says that, uh, you know, the most sophisticated machinery on this planet is the human being. Mm-hmm. Not a computer, no matter how powerful a computer is, it's nowhere near what a human being can do. And he says, we spend all our lives trying to rework the outside. We learn things, we go to the gym, we eat well, whatever. He said, but there's an inner, inner part of us that we don't tend to work on. So he calls it inner engineering. And uh, he's got a program called Inner Engineering and there's a certain video aspect to learning. And then there's some yogic um, physical practices to learn, which I won't unpack. That's something that people should go and experience in their own accord. Um, but we did this program called Shambhavi Mahamudra. And, and that was a profound um, exercise program to, to deepen and, and I guess re-engineer internally. And that in itself has become something quite powerful for me. So quite often, you know, when I work with a new client, if I get a sense that this is going to be something that they need or, or, or there's a connection, I'll, I'll buy Sadhguru's Inner Engineering book. So you can actually buy the book and I'll give that to them as a, as a starting point to just read um, what that's all about and where they, 
when they can start to tap into some stuff around that. But the inner engineering program was the positive context of uh, someone that has shaped a large part of what I'm all about. And, and as I said, I'm extremely and eternally grateful for the mentors that I've got in my life. Um, you know, I've worked with a, a particular mentor that's been with me, you know, for several years and I use that person as a sounding board and just a friend and a colleague in many ways as well. And um, I have people that are virtual mentors that I really deep dive and I work on myself by watching them. Um, but I would say the massive legal action and Sadhguru, that those two were the, were the two people um, that created a massive impact as to who I am today. And they were obviously two, they were opposite ends of the spectrum, right? Strict, complete polar ends. Yeah. Complete. Very interesting. So, Jason, what are you doing right now to better the pond? And I also want to know why are you doing it? Yeah, so the, the why comes back into discovering the gift in my ugly box. Um, I, I just experienced suffering in a way that was internal. Uh, and, and, I, and I made a commitment from that day that, you know, as I said, I splashed water on my face and I made a commitment that, that if there's anyone that's suffering in any way, whether that's a leader that's going through imposter syndrome or challenged by how do I manage my team or I've got a marital issue and that's replicating into my, uh, rippling into my business, whatever it is, that was my why. I just wanted to make sure that in any way, shape or form that every time I open my mouth, I can support a little bit of reducing or eliminating someone's suffering. Okay, that's my why. What am I doing? I, I work mainly one-on-one -on -one with people. Um, and I've, I look, there's many times, and I'm sure there'll be a day where I do large group formats and you know, I'll create some form of digital program where people can purchase something that I've created and just watch me for a certain amount. I just really profoundly love sharing one-on-one -on -one space or, or, you know, with a group of leaders in one room. Um, and I do that digitally now as well. So I have clients all over the planet um, that, that I do monthly sessions with. It's, it's working with a person to just remove their blockages. And, and, and I, could, I could say it specifically around this or that, but it's not. It's, it's in every way, shape or form. Um, the other day I had, I had one of my clients actually said, look, I know you work with business leaders. Uh, but my 21-year-old son's quite challenged around money. He's got some money blockages. He said, is that someone that you can help? I said, well, if someone reaches out for help, I, I, I want to help. So I, I spent you know, about 90 minutes with this individual. Uh, we did a Zoom session. It was the most, I mean, there was tears, there was breakthroughs, there was openings. And, and so much so that I got a text message that, uh, from his father that said, I don't know what you've done, but the moment you finished, my son ran up to me and gave me the biggest hug ever and thanked me for, for introducing you know, the two of us and allowing me to help him. So the way I'm bettering the pond, and I know we can get caught up in, you've got to scale, you've got to scale your business. And, and sometimes you can go beyond what you really love and can make an impact in that moment and, and jump the gun a little too soon. And as I said, I'm sure there'll be a time where my work will be rippling across the pond massively at the moment i just want to profoundly impact one human being at a time in my presence and you know i have a certain capacity that i could see um so many people in a month and and i have got space in there so i'm not i'm not booked out by no means um, however i do have clients that see me every month and, and they're booked all the way through to the end of the year and beyond 
because they're just proactively booking their sessions in. But yeah, the way that I'm doing it is unblocking people's blockages one by one, and, and that is a very generic answer. Mm -hmm. um, I, I understand that, but believe me, the work that I'm doing is is quite general. There's so many different things. One minute I'm helping someone around money blockages, next minute I'm working with a group of three or four leaders um, that aren't sure how to work together in a way that they're synchronized. Uh, I, I use some psychometric profiling tools like yourself around Colby to understand people's instincts and that taps into a certain amount of opportunity for people to understand that maybe I've got a pattern that I'm not working towards leveraging the best. Uh, so my work is literally at this stage, one human being at a time. And, and I truly believe that if I can touch, break through and shift their perspective, that they'll live a profound life and the ripple effects of who they help uh, is part of what I do as well. And I love it. Every single moment, I absolutely love and cherish the opportunity to sit with someone one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah, no, I was just going to say to you, kind of led into it, is that, you know, with working one-on-one, -on -one, you're, you're creating ripples, right? You're, you're, you're creating ripples, but those ripples keep going out and out and out, and eventually you make waves. Um, and, and that's the impact that you have. That's absolutely brilliant. So, so JK, I want to know, what, is, what does your future look like? I mean, you are the, you are the wise sage <laughs> on the pond, as we talked about earlier, on the, you're, on the, you're, on the, you're on the lily pad, right? Yeah, and and you have you you have your you have your 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 um you have your globe there, and you know you have your wings wrapped around it. Where you're going to tell the future? I want to know what does your golden pond look like, Jason? Yeah, look, if I if I I find that if I go into the future too far, um, a certain level of ego comes in and starts to think big and grand and and sometimes takes me out of my humility. Um, and that's not to say that you shouldn't have that big, you know, massive goal to work towards. And I, I, I do, I do. Um, I just make sure that it's coming from a space of humility, not ego. And I, I know that in my future, there will be a digital program that I can record and maybe there's 10 steps to it. And, I, and, and I've already got the title for it. Um, it's called Life Force Business Mastery, um, but it's not, it's not your traditional business mastery program. It's one that's wrapped in around energy and connection and how people can start to look at themselves from a different angle rather than the traditional stuff that's already been taught out there. Uh, I, I will record that someday, and that will be something that will be able to be my legacy to the planet uh, because whether I'm here or not, people can still acquire that program um, and, you know, whether I'm asleep, it'll still be able to be acquired and it'll be something that I'll put out into the world. So for me, I, I, just, I just know that I'll be doing more of what I'm currently doing. And, and I know that's the truth for me because the litmus test when someone says to you, if you were to win $50 million in the lottery, what would you dif do different with your life? And I, and, I, and, I, and I don't know any more that I would do from a work perspective I'd use that money to help other people in other ways. However, I wouldn't change my work um, because I'm free and liberated totally with every single ounce of energy I have every single time I help someone one-on-one. -on -one. So as I said, the only thing that I can see in my future is the ability to help a lot more people at scale without losing that intimate one-on-one -on -one opportunity that I currently have. Um. That's brilliant. I mean, I, I'm not sure how many people honestly could, could say that, 
you know, honestly, as if I won $50 million, my, my work would stay the same. Um, you know, here's so many people, if I won $50 million, I'd be, you know, off, off to Fiji. Right. And, <laughs> um, you know, and so, you know, and, and people do want to live a purposeful life, but I'm sure that, but you know, most don't, they don't even know. Right. Um, you know, and one of the things that when, when we're in this pandemic now, um, and just for your own personal experience, what sort of, what's been your learning or where do you, what's, what is, what's the positive do you feel that's, that's come out of, uh, what, what, what globally, what we're going through? Yeah, that's an interesting question. And I think, um, there's a couple of things that as, as a human race that we'll all share. Um, and then there's some things that obviously are going to be personal to me. Um, I'll, I'll give you the quick version of what I did to actually get out of what I'm getting, because I can tell you what I got out of it, but without the context of how they got there, it might not make sense. I, I actually, when, it, when, it, when I was first become extremely conscious of it, it was about mid to late March, like most of us. And that, that was when it started to really come into play here in Australia. And I said to myself, okay, this is gonna be big. Uh, there's gonna, it's gonna be challenging. So I need to, I need to get back to my roots of where I found my strength. So I doubled down on doing my spiritual practices, my meditation to maintain calmness in my mind. I went into some powerful mantras and a mantra for those of you that are listening that might not be sure. A mantra is a, a statement that you repeat that has more than just the words as the meaning, that the energy of saying it has a purpose as well. Mm -hmm. And I got into mantras every day. I'll do my spiritual practices, meditation every day. Um, I'd really deeply connect with myself and stay grounded. And I did a couple of practical things. I went to what I call Operation Ground Zero. And that is, okay, if this results in all my clients stopping their work with me, because I actually don't contract any of my clients. I've had clients that have been working with me monthly for several years and not once has there ever been a contract. So at any point in time, anyone can finish up with me. They just choose to stay. And I said, okay, Operation Ground Zero, if all my clients just stopped, if all my work stopped, what can I sell for my family to survive over the next six months? And I started to plan that out. Literally, I would speak to real estate agents. I'd find out if I needed to sell a property. What's it worth in a quick sale? How would that transact? What are your fees? And so I prepared myself for ground zero. Now, what that does is it gives you a certain level of safety and certainty, which is a base human need for all of us. We all need to feel safe and secure yeah. and have some level of certainty. So I got my base. I got comfortable. I got totally comfortable. I had to bank the ego in many ways, but I got totally, totally comfortable with Operation Ground Zero. And I went right. It'll be ugly. It won't look good. However, I'm okay with that not ruining my health, my family's health, and we can move through that. The second thing I did was then get into some practical housekeeping. We stopped spending monthly subscriptions on stuff that we didn't need. We cut back on certain things that we would maybe spoil ourselves on or gives us luxuries, we cut all that out. So that were the two practical things that I did. From that point forward, I started to think, right, I'm building myself energetically, which is profound. And now there's gonna be a whole bunch of people that need a positive voice, an op optimistic voice, a voice of reason, a voice of perspective. And I wanted to be that voice. I wanted to help people, irrespective of whether they were my clients or not. I just wanted to be that person that was that phone call that maybe just gave you a little bit of perspective that afternoon amidst all the worry and challenge. So I would be text messaging, I'd be calling people randomly, and I'd just be 
I would be so, so full on with my work. I was doing more hours than, uh, during that period than, than what I was beforehand, not necessarily getting more clients at that point initially, because I was just helping people and I wanted to be of service. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to put myself in a space that this is bigger than me, so don't make it about me. I made it about everyone else that I could help. And I just poured my heart and soul calling people. Of course, my clients got extra attention during that time as well. Sure. In fact, I had one client that said, oh, look, I just need to get a cash flow um, relief for a month. We'll pick up, you know, we'll stop in April. We'll pick it back up in May because um, you know, he's on a monthly cycle with me. And I still kept calling him. And he said, well, you, you know, I'm not paying you for this month. I said, <laughs> I don't care. I want to be that guy that helps you. I said, I want you to get through this and be stronger, tougher, discover your gifts in this ugly box as well. And I just poured everything into being of service. Funny things happen when you send ripples out, ripples come back. So I started to get referrals, not necessarily from the people I was helping either, just people that I hadn't supported or hadn't helped but just said, oh, man, I came across this bias. I don't know why, but I thought of you. And that's how energy works. It's not necessarily linear. Right. And the more I put out, all this work starts to come. And all of a sudden, I'm finding myself putting on more what I call private clients, which are the monthly clients that I work with every single month. I was putting on more private clients than I had put on in the previous two years combined. Wow. It was just escalating to the point that I needed to employ some digital technology to help manage my diary and, and all these sorts of things. And I thought, what's, what's happening? And, and I just kept going and I just kept going. So for me... Two things happened. One, I worked on me, got me right. If you can't get yourself right first, you can't be of service to anyone else. Right. Number two, I then focused in on being of service to everyone else. And then number three, I stayed really present with the needs of those that were in my close proximity, i.e. most, most importantly, my, my immediate family, my wife and my three beautiful children. I just made sure that I was truly present to be there for them and in, in a way that they they could feel like we're connected. So we actually got so much closer as a family. Um, we were homeschooling our children, our three children at that point in time. And the litmus test for me was one night at dinner, I said to our children, do you feel like you're in lockdown? I mean, we're in lockdown isolation at that point for about a month. And they stopped and they went, oh, no. We had made the moments that we had at home so profound and so enjoyable and so focused on each other that we almost for a moment forgot uh, that we're in lockdown and we would shut off all media because, you know, we didn't want other people feeding our minds and our energy. So we went, we're going to feed our own. Um, And, you know, the things that we did with our children at that point, at one point we had a three day, there was a long weekend in the middle of it. And we said to the children, we're going to go away. And then when we were in lockdown, I went, yeah, yeah, we're going to pretend to go away and we're going to use our home as the holiday home. So we, we said to the kids, okay, start packing your bags because you're going to be in a different bedroom. And, and we said to them, right, we've got five rooms in our house. You get to choose one of them as your bedroom for this long weekend. And they picked the bedroom each. And of course, our two oldest children picked mum and dad's room because it's got the TV and all the stuff and big king size bed. So they want to be spoiled. And so for three days, I'm in this little bed. <laughs> up and, you know, we created this three-day long weekend um, out of our own home and just made the most out of what we had. And I think if I was to summarise what the what this pandemic's doing for all all of us, and you know, deep deep um, condolences to those that have lost loved ones. I'm not I'm not 
desensitized to that. Believe me, as I said earlier, I'm extremely highly sensing as to what that means and feels in a family. Absolutely. Um, however, what it has done for those that have been willing to just pause and absorb it, it's created closeness of relationships. It's, it's re-evaluated the important things in life, uh, whether that's health, relationships, friendships, the valuing the outdoors, being able to go outside and just appreciate nature for what it is and not need necessarily anything extra to do that. Mm. Um, it's really brought people together. But what it's also done, and this is the hard bit, and I'm not sure you know, in Canada how, how businesses have sort of worked and what your government's done to support them. In Australia, we've had a lot of government stimulus to help us out. However, I believe that what it's done for business is say, I'm going to magnify what you need to do. And if that is, you need to get the hell out of that business because it's not working. It's magnified that. It's sped it up for some people. For other people, what it's done is it said, you need to get sharper at the way you work. You're maybe being a little bit too loose with your time. Maybe you've got too many people that are working with you and you just haven't had those conversations for a long time that you needed to have. Maybe you're inefficient. You need systems, processes, technology, as it did with me. I need to be smarter with my time. I need to be smarter with the way I did things. I need to be more efficient. I need to have less wastage. I need to value what I did more. And all these things have really instigated a speed up. And I mean, it's, I'm not the first person to say that, you know, some businesses have achieved in the space of three or four months what normally would have taken them two years to get to that point of realisation. And, and I think that's another thing that from a business community, from a leadership perspective, it's, it's forced us to step our game up and start to be stronger, better, smarter at everything that we do in business and learn from that and grow exponentially into the future. Every day and in every way, I'm getting better and better, stronger. stronger. And stronger. <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> so, you know what, Jason, I, I really, really want to thank you for your time today. I, I truly, truly appreciate every moment that I get to spend with you. Um, to, our, to my listeners out there, where can they go to find you? So the, the best way is to go to uh, Kolevsky, J-K-O-L-E-V-S-K-I. Uh, .com.au. We're in Australia, so we've got AU. So if, you, if people go to my website, they'll see me there, but there's an opportunity then to click. Um, look me up on LinkedIn. That's where I spend most of my time these days in terms of connecting with people. And it would be a pleasure. I mean, I've got a, a digital link that people can connect with me if they feel they need some support. Um, you know, you're a business leader and you need some sort of unblocking or you know you've got so much more in you and you want to unlock that. And people can you know, click on a link and, and I'll be able to share that. We can have a 30-minute a, a Zoom meeting. So that's how people can find me the best way. And I'm, obviously through you. I mean, you know, your, your connection with me, if people do know you more than they know me, but they want to connect, then they should visit you and ask you how we can connect. But coming back to your point about thanking me, I, I want to thank you because, you know, you creating this Better the Pond uh, purpose, that you're, that this mission that you're on, um, and allowing someone like me to share my passion, my love, my story in your presence. You know, I feel grateful for that. So thank you right back at you. Ah, bless you. <laughs> so, well, there you have it, folks. It was another great time here again on the Better the Pond podcast. This is Warren Berry. I'm flocking off to take you beyond the pond to better the pond because we're better together.
Thank you, Jason. Pleasure. Have a good one. Bye, everybody. Well, thanks for landing on the Better the Pond podcast. Do you know someone who should be in our flock? Contact Warren at warren at instinctivesolutions.ca to tell us their story. Until next time, what ripples will you create? Cheers.